you can't describe uh, LSD um, unless you've taken it. You can't understand it. Nothing you've read, nothing you've seen on television, you have to take it and you have to experience it. Cocaine is more or less what you expect. <laughs> it is confidence up to 100. It is a very intense feeling. Everything feels amazing. I'm Tim Bicken, a grain and cattle risk management advisor from Worthington, Minnesota. And you are listening to the Vans Crow Podcast. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm glad you're here. Today we have an interview with a longtime friend of mine named Buck Mulligan, who I actually didn't know was writing a book. It's called Adventures on Drugs, and it is a very different sort of book. I've actually never met anybody that decided that they were going to not do any sort of drugs or alcohol their whole life and then decided that they would try a whole bunch of different drugs while traveling around the world in the place where those drugs are kind of endemic in that part of society. Buck is a character, and he is from Ireland with this kind of deep voice and accent, and he's a lot of fun. I have to say, this podcast it gets a little explicit. Of course, we talk about drugs and drug usage, and uh, Buck isn't saying, don't anybody ever do drugs. He has a very moderated approach. But then we also end up talking about sex and different mores and traditions around that. So if you have young people around um, and you don't want to have the embarrassed look on your faces as you hear awkward things talked about, then you may want to flip this one off. There's nothing too explicit, but we definitely reference what's going on there and not a lot held back. So this is a very interesting interview. So one of the things that I'm always talking to you about is joining the Articulate Ventures Network. And I think that this has been a group that has grown and transformed over time to be something that is so far beyond what I imagined it would be that it's oftentimes hard for me to explain to listeners. But if you're a listener and you've been tuning in all the time and you're wondering, is this the type of thing for me? Then I would say you ought to think about dipping your toe in. You can just join for a month or you can join for an entire year. But if you do join, you'll get access to some of the cool amateur skills nights classes that we've been putting together. What we do is when somebody from the network has a skill that they develop because they loved something, then we give them a chance to give a one-hour talk on that. And these talks so far have been incredible. We've had a scientist sit down and explain to us how to do shortwave radio, both for uh, just listening in on conversations from all over the world, but also how would you go about getting a license so you could be a ham radio operator. We've had two brothers get on, the Ring Brothers, and explain how is it that you would butcher a cow. How do you slaughter it? How do you skin it? What do you do? What are all the cuts? And they have actual photographs and videos of them doing it. And for me, I've eaten a lot of beef in my life, but I've never actually seen it up close and personal. We've had a police officer talk about how to handle yourself in chaotic situations. And next month, we're going to have a woman on that is an expert in light. And she's going to talk with us all about gardening, how to pick out what seeds are right for your garden, how to pick out where to put this garden in your yard, and all of the things about gardening that if you've never been a gardener, you would want to know. And we're trying to get this done in time for spring planting. These are just a few of the things that we do in the Articulate Ventures Network. We're always trying experiments. We're allowing people to run groups. We get people together to practice their speaking. 
It is an exceptional online community, and we would love, love, love if a listener of the podcast like you joined. Every single person in that network had to make that choice where they were going to say, I'm going to go explore something new, and I hope you will build up the courage to try it, join. People love it, and almost every single person that's joined has stayed with us, and I think you will too. All right, so without further ado, if you'd like to join the Articulate Ventures network, go to network.articulate.ventures, and I'll have the link below. Also in the link below, we have started creating a pattern language merchandise store. So there are people that were asking me for mugs and shirts and things like that. It came from the network, but we want to open it up to podcast listeners. So if you go to the link below, you can find a place to buy some pretty cool shirts and mugs and support the podcast along the way. This is a blast for me. I hope you guys are having fun. And now on to our interview with my man, Buck Mulligan. Buck Mulligan, welcome to the podcast. Vance Crow, thank you for having me. Hey, it's good to see you, man. You know, the first time I ever saw you, we were on the League of Nerds podcast. You were a co-host, and uh, that was the first podcast I'd ever done. So I'm proud to now be hosting my own podcast and having you on because you are now the author of a brand new book called Adventures on Drugs. What is that book about? Uh, So um, a few years ago now, uh, uh, went through a breakup and uh, sitting down, right, and I was thinking about things I could do, or you know, it was things to keep your mind occupied and, and out of the ether, where you know <laughs> everything sort of comes out of. I, I got this idea for a book called Adventures in Drugland, and I'll go and talk about drugs and maybe go meet some cartel people or do something like this here, and then, but then the word the name Adventures on Drugs sort of popped into my head. Now, um, I, I'm teetotal, so I had spent most of my life and uh, never even drank alcohol. I thought it would be an interesting thing to do, where if I went to the, the six countries most associated with particular drugs uh, and try those drugs for the first time for the purposes of the book. Uh, and so that's what I did. I, I went to uh, Colombia, um, and on what you'd expect, I uh, went to Oktoberfest, uh, got drunk there, um, and went to Stonehenge and, 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 and the, for winter solstice and, and tried magic mushrooms to name half of them. <laughs> um, and so just sort of set out, talk mainly about just interesting things that I've found along the way. It's also a travel book, so I talk about where I'm staying and the people I've met and, uh, and the science and some of the politics and history and the, the the culture and philosophy around drugs. So just sort of like, I mean, like it's it's a it's a travel book mainly, but it's it's um, I think I think it's interesting. Got some reasonable but reviews. Do you not have a mother? I mean, were you not worried about I'm going to write this book of me doing you know illicit activities and my mother is going to you know heap shame upon me? I think I think I actually mentioned my mother. Uh, actually, um, my my dedica- my dedication there at the start, which will not be fit to say, reads to my parents, who I hope never read this. Uh, <laughs> it's, it, it's, it's maybe one of these things I'd maybe you don't bother discussing with my parents. <laughs> um, so it's uh, I'm I'm. I think I like I. One of I've I've often enjoyed like traveling to um, places. That's I was, I was talking today about. I was in Beirut 
a few years ago. And so when I went to Beirut, I just mentioned I was going somewhere warm. I didn't mention where I was going. <laughs> so I, 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 uh, I don't rock the boat in that sense. You know, when you were doing the opening, you used a word that I think I've heard in passing, maybe in old-timey movies, but I, I never actually heard anybody refer to themselves as a teetotaler. What, is that like a common phrase, or is that an actual thing that you were? No, all right, well, so what I was was a pioneer. So in the late 1800s, which I need to fix in the fucking book, but this wrong. Um, the, a movement, so there was all across the Western world was it became um, like uh, a teetotaler movements. Basically, people were staying dry. So, so the the prohibition era was sort of born out of it as well. But ju- just groups started saying, okay, now we're going to abstain from alcohol and any mind-altering substances. But the idea really took off in Ireland in the 1900s and a movement called the Pioneers started where these people were staunchly opposed to taking any alcohol and um, born out of what you would expect. So it was born out of, uh, firstly as well, out of the sort of like the growth of like nationalism and this idea of like the Irish identity and since Irish people sort of, there's... um, uh, a sort of a popular quote in Chicago where a teacher asked a student, what do you know about the Irish? And the student replies, well, they wear green and they live on whiskey. Um, so like, and, and so it's like, oh, this, this is, and to people, you know, people would have cringed this idea. This is just what the Irish were known for as being drunkards and, and all the rest. And in the 1900s, a very poor country. So the, the effects of alcohol was caught would cause there too. So you have uh, Father Colin began the pioneers. So you were given a, a pin with the, the sacred heart on it and you've made a pledge, say, I'm going to abstain from alcohol completely. Um, my grandfather was one, my father was one, and then I ended up taking the pledge as well. Um, it's it's fairly common like Catholic areas to uh, when you take your confirmation that you take your pledge as well, but you take it till the age of eighteen. Um, uh, but then I took it then afterwards. So I, I I'd never tasted never never took any alcohol. I think it was until this you know the right about the first occasion in the book. Um, in doing in doing that there. So that's that's where that came out. Of, but but the term teetotal is older again. It came from a like I think a seventeenth century monk who had a stutter. So he was saying he was totally absent, you know, totally you know going for total absence of alcohol, not just temporary, you know, small amounts. So he says total, and then it it bled out of that there, and you know, memed in the way that words often do. So when you decided to take this plunge, I feel like this is a little bit like uh, virginity, right? Like you don't get to go back afterwards. Yeah. So the which was the first drug that you did, and like how did you, how, like was that a scary experience? Well, the first drug in the book, because uh, I, I sort of like touch and everything, because the first thing is is just sort of in and around this time where I have drag of a joint and things like this here. But um, uh, but the first uh, drug I do for the book 
in for his cocaine. So often I such fairly serious in the deep end. And I I, I find myself because it, it it's it's funny because I, I went to Colombia. The chance had come up a couple of times, just there for whatever a couple of guts of a couple of weeks. because uh, it's all over Colombia, funny enough. And I just kept panicking and then not doing it and like oh, okay somebody to offer me and i'd go oh, okay i get to measuring and say okay i'm definitely going to do it here because it's uh you know home of pablo escobar go visit his grave uh, it's it's popular for people to do from what i understand um the the top of his grave is sprayed down with wd-40 to stop people from doing lines of cocaine off it. <laughs> so i um i said it that night i would do it in measuring but I got out and, but there's uh, like extreme poverty there. So, uh, and I decided to stay just on the outskirt of the city center. And so it's, it's like night of the living dead where there's people who are like at this point, like, you know, you've been in a slum before. So, you know, that people barely recognizable as people and, you know, screaming at one another and shouting and, 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 life for everybody else is just going on as normal shops working away a mechanic working away children going to school but just walking in a mouse around them just these people um like just something out of a horror movie and i went out that night and this is what was surrounding me and i went and again just had an awful amount of fear in me and i went no, I'm not going to do this because for my silly little book talking about drugs and, and, and you know, I was sitting outside the hostel with uh, people shooting up just um, on the doorstep. Um, you know, one man, you know, just looking in between his toes to try to find somewhere to inject himself. And it's like, so I ended up not, again, panicking. And it isn't, and I don't know if we'll get into the story, but it's, it doesn't actually happen. So I... I shouldn't be allowed to book my own flights because for some reason I, I left myself a two-day layover in Panama instead. So I end up doing cocaine uh, with an American girl I met in, in uh, Panama. And then just... Uh, but I, I mean, get, the way but, you're describing this, so I've spent some time in Latin America, but yeah. I have never, like... Uh, I just was not running around in the circles where, you know, the way you're describing it's like cocaine was free flowing and you could just get hey, it anytime you wanted. Yeah, it was yeah. not my experience. Were you in a hot? Okay. Were you in like, I was in all sort of like. No, I was working here. on a ship at the time. Yeah. Okay. Well, maybe that could be. <laughs> we had less cocaine about in the ships. And I was in all the tourist. For the first portion, it was like all the touristy areas where everybody was hanging out and everybody was uh, just drinking and stuff, I guess, here. So it was. Yeah, so um, especially when you're in hostels, if you want drugs, go to a hostel. Everybody knows where to get the drugs. But you know, not everybody, but it, it, it's an easy enough place to find them. So if you're in the holiday areas, yeah, I'm sure it's pretty handy. But again, even even with like the locals who I was talking to there, it seemed to be a fairly um. Well, the, well, the people who I was talking to while there, t- taking a line of cocaine, seemed to be like taking a, you know, t- t- to anywhere else, taking a beer, you know, this is just something, you know, granny would take a wee bit of cocaine just to get herself going. You know? But I, do, I don't know how representative that is from, from the groups that people that I was with. Uh, but um, yeah, it's, it's, you would imagine just, you know, that is where it's made. So it's, 
And so what was the experience like? I mean, I hear euphoria. I've never done cocaine because I know if I do it one time, I will do it a million times. <laughs> no, again, that was the one. I done that once and I've not done it again. So I, I, I my, my assumption is you'd be similar. You'd, you'd try it and enjoy it. No, it was an extremely extreme experience. I mean, um, with the majority of these other things, um, it, for me, it was, I'm like, I became very, um, or I started thinking a lot and thinking about myself and thinking about things going on and, and, you know, become very, what's, what's the word I'm looking for? What's introspective. 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 I became very introspective on, on, on most of the other drugs. Um, no, not with cocaine. No, no introspection there. I was, uh, just it was caught a reflection of myself in the wind and thought, I am God, you know, I am amazing. This is great. You know, I, there was also uh, the American girl. I went back to her room. There was a, you know, one night stand. The, the whole, it was the way you would want to do cocaine, you know. So, <laughs> You're the first person that's ever said that on this podcast, Buck. This is the way you'd want to do here, cocaine. Here to lower the tone, Vance Cross, what I'm here for. Um, and so... Yeah, no, it was, it, it was, I, I think with like, so something like with, with LSD, um, you take it and it's like, where people give you the description of what it's on television, right? You can't describe uh, LSD um, unless you've taken it. You can't understand it. And nothing you've read, nothing you've seen on television, you have to take it and you have to experience it. Cocaine is more or less what you expect. <laughs> it is confidence up to 100 it is a very intense feeling everything feels amazing touch you know you, you feel incredible about yourself you feel insanely confident you, just your abilities you just you're looking at everybody around you and you think how lucky they are to be in your company you know you just feel fantastic and you just want to let everybody know just how great you are you know it, it's it is that now there is a and a very intense experience along with that but it, uh, it's it is exactly what you'd expect um, and then what's coming down off of it like because i mean i know that if i start coming down off coffee i'll drink so much coffee <laughs> i'll make myself shake so i can't even imagine with cocaine uh, again the, the, the thing is right none of my calm downs were particularly bad because i'd like done you know a small again like i'll have a very i obviously must have a very low tolerance as well because of the lifetime of not ever doing anything so um where uh whatever i done a, a two bumps you know like it was, it was and it was like that was all night and then i was a bit tired the next day but you know again a very small amount because that would be a an absolute lightweight i'm sure I, I remember, so the first time, the only time I've ever taken like a real upper was when I was in Kenya, they have this thing called cot. And so uh, you would take it and it's like these stems from this plant that grows up in uh, Somalia and you would chew them and it was like a mild stimulant. And I think probably the equivalent to like what it's like to chew a coca leaf. Mm -hmm. And the exact feeling you're describing is is the one that I had, although probably on a lower grade, but that like my mind was just so sharp 
that I was able to think about things in the past I'd never thought of. I'd been able to like sit down and write and focus and concentrate. And uh, I did that, I think, uh, two times. And the second time that I did it, I was so exhausted from being up all night that it was a horrible hangover for me. But outside of that, like that, I think that that experience of that hangover is what's kept me from even being slightly curious about cocaine because that feeling that you're talking about, the confidence and the energy and the enthusiasm, I mean, I'm already way over the top. I'm, a t- I'm already an 11, and so <laughs> I, I don't even know. I think I'd break the scale if I did it. Yeah, I know. I'd believe that. I'd believe that. Um, we, I used to train. I Don't ask me how I fell into it, but I was training door-to-door salesmen. Um, and that, that is an industry which is fueled by cocaine. It is, which doesn't, because it's, it's it's a sort of job where you have to go to a hundred doors to get five, you know, all you need is your five sales in the day, but you only need to knock. You have to deal with a lot of rejection. And so these guys are just, you know, disappearing off into toilets and whatever pub they're nearby and then going off and doing door after door after door. So it's, it's, it's def, I could definitely understand the appeal of it definitely understand that drive and, 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 you know, I could see why someone would, if, if, if you're going to get hooked on a drug, it would, it, I could understand why you do that. Out of all the drugs that you tried, uh, which were the ones that you did have a pull towards? Was there any that you were like, woo, ah, I like that a little too much. No. Um, it, it's like, I haven't really, it's, it's difficult. So uh, mushrooms was a, a really, really interesting experience. And so it was LSD. And again, very, what it does and what I think of looking back on it, um, I was with a, a guy, it was at Stonehenge for winter solstice um, in a field, wet ass from sitting in the wet grass and uncomfortable, <laughs> cold, and um, I was with a fella, Tom, and Tom, sorry, Greg, sorry, Tom was his brother. And he was a former drug addict. And we're sitting talking about this here and I'd managed to get a hand of like Liberty Caps. So these are the mushrooms that just grow wild in, you know, the fields nearby. And um what he said, he said, I said, should I take it? And he says, well, are you all right in there? And he points at my forehead and I went, yeah, I'm okay in there. And he goes, he goes, well, it should be okay. Cause it can only really work with what you've got going on in there. Can't put anything new in there. I can only work with that. And I went, okay, fair enough. Then I take the mushrooms and I sit there and, and what it does. And I was sitting looking at fire. I was looking at the, the fire and it was cracking and uh, banging away as, Fires do, and I was like, "That's amazing! Like that's that's that bit of wood is transforming into like different types of energy. That noise that I'm hearing right now is that piece of wood. That is that piece of wood that I'm hearing right now. I am seeing that, that fire is that bit of wood. And I was just sitting there thinking about it, it's like started getting more and more into that thought. It's like it's that Stonehenge. I'm like, for how many millennia people been sitting here looking at fires? How connected am I to everything that has ever happened before? How many people have been? And I mean, like, these are sort of like somewhat pedestrian thoughts, you know, 
But at that time, these are the most profound things. And in a level, that is profound. That is, that is you become a little, a little blasé towards everything because you get so used to everything around you. But I am the sort of person that every so often I'll be standing at the tap and I'll turn on the water and go, that is fucking amazing. Clean water, you know, <laughs> the, you know, for the vast majority of human existence, the access to clean water has been the main thing that we've been concerned about. And now I'm fit to switch on a tap. So I would be maybe inclined towards these sorts of thoughts anyway. But it, what it done was with the mushrooms, it made everything very profound. But the things that I was thinking about, I think, are on a level profound. They are meaningful. Now, if you want to sit there and think about ancient aliens and about how aliens use lasers to build Stonehenge, the mushrooms will take you down that fucking path and you'll think these are great, really important thoughts that you're having as well. So there is sort of the danger with that. And, And there is, and there is sort of that consciousness, me as this complete outsider to drug culture coming in and talking about this book and talking about this experience and the fucking like, so I, in, in my entire life, all the drugs that I've done, there's, there's people who I know who've done more drugs in a single night, like easily done more drugs in a single night. So it's, it is just this sort of outsider perspective. And I have to appreciate that these experiences that I have, for the most part, most people are just looking to get really fucking smashed. That's they just want to get out of their head. Um, but it's you know for me, but for me, the and that has been the one mushrooms I have done twice more after it. I think of of everything. Um, and so when you think about like the time that you've spent on mushrooms, uh, do you feel like you went to a place, whether it's deep inside you, and you pulled something back that that changed your behavior or changed the way you thought about things going forward? I want to be very, I, I think, I want to be just be like very, because there's, there's people who make these sort of like big, very big claims about the potential and, and and I think under and my conclusion of the book is that under the right circumstances with the right mindset and the right place and, and and these can be like useful tools into changing your perspective and to you know maybe shifting you out of like negative thought patterns and potentially they can be a useful tool potentially um like um the LSD was uh, an extreme, like, I mean, so um, the book is a portion, it was at, at that time, a lot of the travel and stuff was, a, was still a portion of me, like dealing with the breakup. Um, and uh, when I took, the, the girl who I took LSD with was going through a, a thing, and the thing that I was going through, well, again, if, if people are curious, you have to buy the book. Um, and it was, and she, uh, as we were like sitting in the grass and I, me, me and her were, um, <clears throat> we clicked like very quickly because uh, we're both things people. We like talking about things. We like talking about uh, events. We like talking about ideas. And we had been with each other for three or four days. I'd not once asked about family, not once asked about other friends. I just asked about, had just talked about ideas the whole time. 
and um, we've taken the LSD and we're walking through um, Golden Gate, Golden Bridge Park in San Francisco. Oh, Golden Gate Park, yeah. Golden Gate Park. So we're walking through that and then suddenly she just opens up to me in this massive way and what she tells me, and again, I'm not going to say if you can buy the book, um, I just think, I just, like it always, the whole thing just connects up for me. Because for whatever reason, <clears throat> the book started off with, this is about, and I don't know why I started it, just talking about connection within the universe. And what she said to me, it just, the whole, you know, dominoes just started hitting, all the lines started connecting up. It's like, holy shit, it's all connected. And this is what LSD did for me. And it was people, I mean, like this is what people often say, you, you just start to notice all these connections that are around you and where I was at that particular time and where she was at that particular time, like we were the, the right people to be with one another doing LSD in this park at this time. And it was just a, a, a fantastic experience. And again, I, I sat and talked to her and again, I'm not a person who likes talking about feelings or emotions or anything like that. I fucking hate talking about those sorts of things. Um, but they're just sort of like sitting on a statue in the park, just chatting to her. And But it was as, as if I was talking about somebody else's problems. You're sort of like sitting outside your own body, looking, I mean, not, not physically looking down, but I was, it was somebody else's issues. Because it's very easy to talk about somebody else's problems. Ain't not your own, they're a total different, totally different kettle of fish. But that's, that's what that allowed. So the... And again, so this was half, whatever it was, it was one half of a piece of a tiny wee piece of paper. So this was a, a small amount of LSD. Now, directly after that um, experience, um, uh, a lot of negative emotions, negative feelings, and uh, a lot of like, a lot of things had shifted in me. But after a time, I fell back into the normal way of things and way of thinking right so so yeah it, it, as a tool for like taking me out of myself and allowing me to address some things there and <clears throat> there and then it, it definitely it, it i definitely think it helped now was it the long-term answer no but then and there yes so what do you think then of this big push right now in popular culture? Uh, we're starting to see people like Michael Pollan write books about you know using psychedelics. We're seeing people come out and say openly they think they should be legalized and even states themselves in the United States opening them up. It's all being done under the, the premise that this is allowing people to heal traumas and problems that they've had. Do you think this is um, a facade, like a trick in order to get the gate open? Or is this truly helping people? I, I think a lot of people are full of shit. I think like largely like majority of the conversations you hear in this topic, the majority of people talking about it, the majority of like, the, 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 it's, it's, I remember talking to somebody, like the people who are, use the most of this stuff who advocate most for it who and again i'm someone who thinks legalization and regulation i think that just makes sense but my position coming down to <clears throat> my my position really comes from uh you're funding cartels you're funding paramilitaries you're funding 
this you're not actually doing anything they're still widely available it, it's these sort of sensible but oh we're going to legalize drugs and it's going to just fix everything yeah, shut the hell up i mean like the people who do most drugs are burnouts that's the reality the people who are like the biggest advocates for lsd are doing what exactly i mean like it's it's people will often i think i make the re- reference to this in the book as well you know once you start to l- lock in to like something like LSD, the first name you'll hear is Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs said that LSD, taking LSD was one of the most important experiences of his entire life. Now, Steve Jobs done LSD a handful of times. You know, it was a handful of times he done it. And, um, and for, for every, listen, Francis Heck as well, one of the discoverers of DNA, again, LSD, on LSD, but for every profound, worthwhile or interesting thought had on some psychedelic, you have a hundred million other people going, what even is truth? Am I even real? Are my hands even touching right now? You know, it's, can these things be useful? Yeah, in a, in a, in a limited, potentially, I don't even say yeah. Potentially, potentially these things could have use and value and make you uh, a, a more a, a more fulfilled, better rounded person, you know. But for the most part, the vast majority of people are taking them, getting smashed, having a decent time or not. And that's what that's that's what's going on. Uh, and it, the danger this really as well. reminds me of my like take on on marijuana right like mm-hmm. i there have been a few times um well not, i mean like if if you use thc there are a couple of times when you're doing that when you have some experiences or some thoughts or some conversations that are that are amazing right that that you that whatever state you're normally in you're not capable of doing it at mm-hmm. least for me but if you get to the point where you're doing it all the time, yeah. you you have this sensation of the profound because you still have this euphoria and this like aha moment and your brain is always trying to catch up with a pattern that it kind of sees. And I think that's kind of what, what you know getting on a lot of drugs allows you to do is it allows you to see patterns that in your ordinary brain you just can't. Mm-hmm. And But the problem is that um you know the the definition of genius is seeing patterns that other people can't see and the definition of madness is seeing patterns that aren't there and and you can get into these like cycles where you think you're seeing something so profound and when you wake up the next day from or you come down off of being high the pattern either wasn't anywhere near as beautiful as you thought it was or for some reason you feel like I know it was a good idea and I can only get it if I get back there, but I can't get it while I'm in my lucid state. So I'm, I'm very much with you. I think there is a ton of potential within the use of psychedelics and different types of drugs, but I think most of the time it's like getting drunk on sacramental wine. It's yeah, it's, it's, I'm, I don't have any like, like strong conclusions on it. Like, so when I first started writing the book, um, 
it was full of, oh, the war on drugs is really bad and the people who support it are really dumb. You know, and it, which is like so typical. And it's like, oh, it's because they're bad and they're dumb that they have this possession. And, and the more that maybe you grow up and you mature a bit and stuff like that, and, and as I'm reading them back, I'm like, that's actually very silly. And you take it, um, most of these drugs that I'm talking about, uh, cocaine, uh, LSD, these uh, are in around a hundred year old. Uh, they're not, they're not new. They're not old. It's so so societies that have never had you just to do with two this. things. They're both. Are you saying oh, they're new or they're old? Oh, sorry, they're not. I uh, misspoke. They're they're very new. Um, they're not like they're um. LSD was invented during World War One. Uh, ecstasy, and then nobody realized it had any uses um, until after World War Two. Uh, ecstasy, something similar. Um, cocaine. Uh, so, cocoa plants have obviously been around for millennia, you know, for, you know, for, for a very long time. Um, but uh, the refining process, so people actually you know getting the most out of it. So they, they created a thing called cocoa wine, where you have to take as much of the of the cocaine out of the plant, mix it in with wine. You have to transport and sell it. So it's actually it was endorsed by the Pope. Uh, and also, what Coca Cola came out of, you know, famously. Um, but that was only in what late eighteen hundreds. Um, and again, so people are taking that as a tonic, as a, as a painkiller. And then after a while, they really is, people get addicted to people are addicted to this, you know, uh, you know, and then started like taking it out. Uh, it, so it, it's there's been like this, this massive trial. The, the war on drugs is a exactly what you'd expect people to do. You have nowadays where we have, you know, we've, we've more evidence, you've more science, you have more money to spend on treatment centers and clean needle clinics. And, and, you know, we are lucky to be in a position where we can be, be more compassionate. Whereas, you know, 80 years ago, they weren't in that position. And so it's, they just seen a problem had arisen and it's like, okay, now we need to, we need to, you know, address this. And then the way you normally address these things is with a heavy hand. Um, it's the same people who came up with the pro, you know, the idea, it's the same ideas with, um, with prohibition <laughs> and with, with all, all the same results, but it's, you need to sort of like come at this with, um, with a, a mature, uh, yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, like, so for me, when I think about, um, you know, the legalization or the war on drugs, for me, the I'm a libertarian, right? Like, I want people to be able to do what they want to do, mostly because I want to be able to do what I want to do. And I think that I should extend that to other people. But I will say this. Most of the problems that are going to come with legalization of drugs are going to come when we go from absolute prohibition we're sending you to prison for a long Mm -hmm. long time to there are no rules because Mm -hmm. all you're going to do is open up a space where people that are not trying to do it just once or twice but people that are saying hey now this opens up a gateway and i can go there and i can be a part of this drug culture 
And uh, you get a mass of people that are now, um, you know, a part of this whole drug scene and all of the problems that come along with that, which are societal, that end up causing crime, causing all sorts of other problems. And so then people are like, yeah, see, exactly right there. That's why we should have prohibited it. So if, to me, it seems like that interim stage between they're illegal and now they're legal should be the one that we take slowly. Like if we're going to head to legalization, step it down. Don't do like uh, ding dong, let freedom ring. Let's just make it all happen overnight, which is why I think Oregon is absolutely insane. They just sent a flag up all over the world to say, everybody come here because we're going to open up the gates on this. What have Oregon legalized? Oh, they, they pretty much, so I don't want to misspeak here. They definitely opened up the doors on psychedelics, but I think mm -hmm. they way lowered the punishment on possession of, of any kind of narcotics, heroin, and those kinds of things. I don't mm -hmm. think they're legal, but I think mm -hmm. they've just decided we're no longer going to put people in jail for it. And I think California would be the, the good example that for all intents and purposes, once you've done that, they are legal. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, it's, well, that's very similar to Portugal's system. So uh, Portugal decriminalized everything. Portugal had a massive drug problem. Portugal was the worst in Europe. Um, so then they went about decriminalizing everything. So if you were caught by the police with uh, an amount that was dealt with this deemed for personal use, what you got was uh, a letter yeah, I'm sorry, if, you have to go into doctors and the doctors examine you, have you across the board, make sure you're not actually addicted. If you are, and if, if you are addicted, well, then they send you off somewhere else for treatment. And if you're just, you know, someone who's, you know, buying some drugs for the weekend, they send you on your way. And that's like massively helped as a poor, that in part, because their drug problems completely um, out of the, out of control. But um, so I, I, I think the decriminalizing of these things, I think that's probably the right first step to make. It's my fear, and this is usually the libertarians going to disagree with it. My, my bigger fear with it is, is the, and I've mentioned it in the book as well, is, is it the free market with access to these things? Because we already know with, um, uh, I mean, like the cigarette companies are actively advertising towards children in the third world. They don't make a secret of they, uh, they put their banner, you know, billboards around schools. Um, they, you know, with co when cocaine was legal, it was put into baby tooth medicine. You know, that famous one. So it, it's so if if you're in a system where this is like uh, totally unregulated with no stigma around it. Uh, why don't you put something that's deep, deeply? I mean, like we're we're already at this position where where we now realize that how harmful an addictive sugar is, and it's just in fucking everything. Whereas in Europe, where's you know tighter regulations and this stuff, you know, it's up. For, but from I would someone say the the other the other side of this on <laughs> or at least one other side of this is right now the state of Illinois has legalized yeah. marijuana. But yeah. the way that they did this was they said, we're only going to give licenses to a yeah, few people. Yeah, bullshit, yeah. And then what they've done is they've created an oligarchy. Yeah. Whoever, whoever could figure out how to get that license now had a license to print money. 
and and so you're choosing winners and these are mm -hmm. not small winners these are winners yeah there's a something that people want millions and millions of dollars and so i don't i don't really want the government making choices like that and so the trade-off that you have to have is how do you open it up without making it so the government now gets um mm -hmm. you know the ability to crown princes yeah and in the newspaper like that's all would have been done corruptly no doubt that you know there would be you know you know, campaign funds and trips over on suitcases full of money and stuff like that done here and there. Probably some cousins and relations. Uh, the um, the one of the loud, loudest voices in the British government um, against the legalization of cannabis is a woman whose husband grows. Um, so for whatever reason, uh, an enormous amount of Amst of, of the Netherlands cannabis is grown in Britain. It's illegal in Britain, but you can grow it to for to sail to the Netherlands in Britain. And her husband owns this um, this business, and legalization of it in Britain would basically sh sh shut them down. And she's like the loudest voice to keep it illegal. So it, it's you know again, I, I'm you know there, there's always 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 going to be problems with the system with with um, corruption with incompetence, with, with all these sorts of things. My my big issue as well, it, it's um, uh, when I come down, it's, it's if, you, if you hear about someone overdosing of ecstasy in Dublin or whatever, I don't, I don't care. You know, I don't, I don't care as much as I don't care about hearing about somebody having a heart attack in Waxford or whatever. Yeah, like somebody died, people die. My issue comes in where I am genuinely concerned is with um, – the black market that it creates with who this is fun, who, you know, the organizations that this is funding, that it's, you know, it's not been regulated. It's not been taxed. It's, it's just money, an enormous amount of money that's going to criminal bodies who are, you know, putting this into weapons and street gangs and things like this. Uh, Mexico, a real fear that Mexico could become a, a cartel state, you know, it, it's, and we're not. And so that by itself, is reason enough to go okay maybe we should legalize because we're not winning this this how way. do you think okay so imagine in a scenario when you legalize it how did they do drug um education for kids in ireland because here we had a thing called the dare program and all the dare program did was be like hey if you take this drug you'll see pink elephants and so you don't want to do that one that's really bad and this other one if you touch it even one time you will die. You will immediately die. And like people got a little bit older and they're like, one, I'd be down with seeing some pink elephants. Like that's okay. <laughs> and then the other one is, Hey, my cousin did that drug. They didn't die. That was all a lie. We're not going to believe any of this. So the drug education program in the United States did, I think virtually the exact opposite of what they planned for it to do. There's a, there's a famous story. Um, it was a, a British television show called Baker Grove. Um, and they were over for Nancy Reagan's Just Say No, Just Say No, that, that song, they were singing in it. But there's, there's a famous story that a couple of, because they're all teenagers, like so they're on the roof of the White House smoking weed. <laughs> after. <laughs> um, so, yeah, no, these things don't work. I mean, like I have my my Dare t-shirt sitting about in there somewhere. You know, it's, it's um, like my my favorite story again mentioned in the book 
is uh, you may have heard about the you know the Elgarians. It's all you know. There's always a story of someone they take LSD, and for one reason or another, they jump out of a window. Um, and yeah, I so everybody everybody's heard that story. Um, I was reading a book on LSD. It's in in my kitchen. My mother seen it, and, and she goes, uh, "Oh, a girl." She starts telling me about a story about a girl who's seen the devil in, in Derry, and she jumps out the window. You know, so this story is just pre- pre- prevalent. And where that story ended up coming, where that I think the origin of that story is, uh, there's an American um, game show host. His daughter had. Um, jumped out the window and killed herself and she he claimed that she'd been on lsd at the time as it turned out she wasn't um but then she found out she'd done it six months previous and then this with the whole claims about acid flashbacks which i think i go over i I don't believe acid flashbacks are actually a thing oh my god you're blowing my mind because my mother used to tell this story about how she had a friend that was chased (laughs) through a like a like a wooded area by a fly and this used to happen like over and over again because she had flashbacks so for me that was like oh god i'll never do it i i never want that to happen yeah it's 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 either you know it's um a claim sort of the last time i seen it was uh uh, that's the lst somehow gets stored in your spinal fluid and uh that then comes out at some point or another it's like it's not how spines work you know <laughs> so no there's there's a couple of st- i can't remember the technical name for it but there's a couple of like studies but they've just asked people do you have a-? and so th- the issue is with it right so um i i, I go into my, my basically argument so so um they say to people um so you take LSD, it has this very particular feeling, right? Where the colors are all maybe a bit more intense or sound sounds a bit sharper. You know, it is a, it's a, it's a very particular feeling. But every so often, so the first time I ever uh, smoked a joint, it was an ex- very extreme like, colors, noises, could hear music, right? Um, I remember spending time with some Hari Krishnas in um, Australia. And I was doing a very uh, intense chant harry harry rama 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 harry harry you know that's over and over again and i had like a proper out-of-body experience maybe you know for whatever few seconds that it was it was like felt totally detached from myself now um uh i've also had other people talk about where they're you know and like where they're having like these wee moments of just like clarity you know like my father talked about like uh, that went through an extremely tough time during a business closing and was walking on the beach and it was just as low as he'd ever been in his entire life. And he just had this click in his head and the sea was bluer and the sky was clear and everything was just, he just had this, you know, and everything was okay. So just whatever would happen. Now someone could come along, go, oh, if someone had taken LSD beforehand, they'd go, oh, it was an acid flashback. And that's all it is. It's you have a similar experience to what LSD is like, and go, oh, that's an acid flashback. So um, the two cases that I read about were the, both people were on weed at the time. They'd been smoking cannabis, uh, but the, the, the experience was like an LSD trip rather than getting high, you know. And so, so it's 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 probably doesn't. I, my assumption is probably doesn't exist. 
haven't I, I haven't seen anything to suggest to me that it does out and it sort of just helps as a bit of like anti-drug propaganda to tell people oh you could be up a ladder and you'll have a flashback and you'll fall off I, so I, I doubt. what is your experience now you know you started out as a teetotaler and then you uh do this adventure on drugs did you make the decision you want to go back to being a teetotaler or in my you... i have like don't like i don't do anything i don't drink I don't, I, like the, the, the like the um, so i i, I drank four i think it was five times i've been drunk so anytime i've drank i've got drunk because that's was sort of the reason of doing it and two of those occasions were not good and i've never drank again and i've no real if if you what like i am not good about them let's not talk about that you can't come on a podcast and talk about your adventure and drugs and then tell no, us. No, it was no, it was sad. No, no, if it was like, oh, I wrecked this thing and I, you know, I've gone to a fight and I threw a boy off a building, you know, if it was something like that. No, it was just, it's just sad, and I'm not, I'm just not, just not getting into it. But it's, 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 um, it just was, just was fairly lame, negative, but which I've seen a million times before. You know, people, you know, standing, talking to themselves and getting worked up and or somebody sitting crying because they're drunk or vomiting or whatever. And it's like, you know, it doesn't look worth it. And, I, and I'm already, when I'm out, I'm, depending on the crowd, I'm maybe the loudest person there. And, you know, I'm very, fairly outgoing and I'm happy enough to be up dancing and talking to ones. And, you know, that that's not an issue for me. I think not drinking as a teenager made me have to you know, uh, you know, it, get good at that. Um, that wasn't a, a n- not being good at it wasn't an option for me. <laughs> I couldn't just, uh, you know, drink some confidence into myself. So, um, so it doesn't really doesn't really affect me. It was, it was a it was fun experience. It was a fun experience. Um, oh no, what I found about alcohol more than anything isn't it and it really clicked with me was on nights out talking to drunk people it's the most horrifyingly boring thing uh, imaginable so there was there was one uh french guy i was sitting chatting to him and he's and he started telling me about you know his flight from here to there and he got to germany and then he had to get the bus and then they're going to go here and they have to get then another bus here and then they're getting a flight and that flight got delayed and then this is here and this and he just kept going on and on and normally while sober sitting listening to that sort of conversation i'd be sitting there going jesus wouldn't it be great if i could just die and but while drunk you're sitting there going oh a bus for three hours? My God, I've never heard the likes of that. A three-hour bus ride? Jesus Christ, that's fantastic. My God. You know, it, it, this incredibly monotonous, boring bullshit becomes riveting, becomes interesting, becomes great. You know, you just don't want to hear more of it. And and so it's like, I I can see the appeal, where I can, I can definitely see the appeal of alcohol in that way because it's, it's just sort of, it's a, a social more than just a social lubricant it, it, it's well it just makes whereas i'm like on quite often just get very bored in these places fairly quickly where i can see how you can be very happy just sitting there and very content getting a bit drunk 
and talking shit whenever you can. So it, it's, but overall, it's not something that I'm particularly interested in doing. It's it's the only one that I am curious about because I would like to try DMT at some point. I would like to try uh, ayahuasca at some point. You know, I and and Wouldn't so we all. <laughs> <laughs> So, so it, that brings up a good point. Like uh, you're talking about drugs that uh, you know you could you could listen to Joe Rogan, who's very popular. People yeah. love him, and he tells you, "Oh, do this. There's no downside to it. It's fine." When but when you really think about it, you're messing around with the circuitry that mm-hmm. makes you you. Yeah. So when you think about doing that and and taking these, you've already taken some drugs that could have altered the wiring in your brain. Are you worried about that at all? Are you worried about losing who Buck is? No, it's like it's 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 <clears throat> they're all gone. I mean, the chemicals are all now flushed out. And I think to make actual serious change, you would need to do like some damage or whatever, you know. Or these would need to be with ayahuasca. It's like ayahuasca, like that's an extremely intense experience, but for like long-term beneficial change you need to like regularly you know you know regularly whatever a few times a year you need to keep going back and doing this and keep working on yourself and keep doing all these things and and um so i i i I doubt i i'm I'm, here here's here's the thing I, i think nothing has changed my mindset more has changed the chemistry of my brain more than lifting weights and more than any of those things possibly could have that, that regularly going in, getting those endorphin hits, whatever other chemical changes are happening. I mean, like it, it lifted my mood, lift, it changed me more than than any of these things did or potentially could have. Um, and so there's, you know, I, I am a different person from when I started lifting weights than before I lifted weights. So it's like, yeah, so those, so the words changes that I, mean, I am a different person. So, 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 I mean, like, so you're, and you're also constantly changing as well and maturing and your brain chemistry is always shifting. So you went on this adventure at uh, heartbreak, which sounds like the beginning of a hero's journey. Yeah. Did you come out on the other side, a better man? Are you, uh, you know, a better mate for, for a woman? Are you better prepared to handle heartbreak? Um, so this is what, when I was sort of like doing this, this is what you want, ideally you want to do. You want to have it as a hero's journey and you want to come out a better person at the end. And this, and I had that, I, I whatever, there's 65,000 words in that book. I probably read 250 and deleting and changing and coming back. And, and um, but when I came to down to it, when I'm being very, and I'm very glad it did, I didn't release the book years ago I'm, I'm glad that there was that time of like changing and looking back and stuff on it because it, i went away and had done some drugs and had some interesting experiences and that's what happened there wasn't a hero's journey i didn't you know come out better i didn't know there was no you know call you know it was a bit of a cult adventure but no i i done some drugs had some interesting experiences maybe maybe there were some shifts maybe there were some changes but again i i, I came back because I was, and, and and while the drugs definitely helped in those moments and for a little while, it, it, these things aren't going to fix you. 
Now, maybe as a part of some small part of a bigger journey, maybe, but they aren't going to fix you. Um, that's that's just the reality, and that's not just from my experiences. I, 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 the people who, who will tend to tell you, um, or you know, that's who will make the, all the big claims about, uh, you know, what DMT can do, what's, um cannabis can do you know they tend to be full of shit and it's 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 and it's and the people who who you do look at and go oh that is a, a worthwhile useful contributing person if they're talking about it they've done it occasionally it has been a small thing they've had an experience and then they've, they've went on to it but there's joe rogan talks about you know smoking weed to help him with his, his comedy Joe Rogan's comedy is trash. Now I love his podcast and everything. I like the conversations, but as a stand and as someone who really loves stand up comedy, Joe Rogan's stand up comedy is even by like the bad American stand up comedy standards is really really bad. If someone got on, on an open mic stand and went, "I'm so high right now," don't you just love weed? They would get stared at. No. He get, has a has a built in fan base. People like him. People there's certain people who laugh at whatever he says. But he's 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 just killing my chance to get on Rogan. But he's not a great stand up comedian. That's just the reality. And so him talking about you know smoking weed to help him loosen up and get better at this is like yeah, it probably sounds about right. <laughs> Man, that's like sacrilege in the in the world of uh, podcasting. But, I, but I, I to be totally candid, I had never actually thought about it. I went to one of his comedy shows, um, and it was a good experience. I enjoyed myself, but it was much more about seeing a guy that I think is world-class at, at many things, but mm -hmm. he was definitely not at the Dave Chappelle level of, of no. comedy where like anything that comes out strikes you as like, I would never have thought of that. I, I think he's very quick witted. I think he knows how to rib and all of those things, but I would, I would agree with that assessment. And I, I don't think I've ever heard anybody say that book. Yeah, no, so I'm just here to spit truth. That's what I'm all about. Um, so what are uh, you going to, you, you know, you've, you've published this book. Uh, how's it going? I mean, you've been all over the world talking about this thing. So I know it's moving a unit at a time, trying to sell it. If I, I want to, I've decided I'm going to start working on the next book. I'm just going to do that, regardless of how this sells or how this goes. Um, uh, and what is but, the next book? Was Do I talk about the next book before I even sell this one yet? Um, the next book is called All I Care About Is Sex and Violence. So um, originally, so you think drugs and i thought oh you could do a trilogy it'd be uh, uh so i so sex drugs and violence and you know sex drugs rock and roll whatever but sex drugs and violence um and then as i'm sort of like thinking about this topic there's actually a, a song by a, a rapper called dizzy rascal and it's, and there's a lyric in it and all i care about is sex and violence and so <laughs> that came to me but it is what I want to do in the next, right now, I'm uh, pretty fat from uh, lockdown, haven't been in a gym in months, uh, haven't got any sort of like targets or anything to go to. But what I've decided to do for this is I'm going to do an MMA fight. So um, I'm going to set up 
Uh, and I'm also set up, I have to find a wife as well this year. So that's one of my other targets. So it's going to be about, uh, I'm not totally sure what the book's about, but it's going to be, it's going to be that journey to that there. It's going to be. Um, have you seen, speaking of sex that you're talking about, have you seen yeah. that there is a new movie? Like, I think it's actually a mini series called There's No I and Threesome. Is no. there? What's that? No, yeah, I've, so, I've, as, as, uh, what is it in Netflix? It's supposed original? to be a documentary about a guy who's engaged to a woman and then they decide they're going to have a polyamorous relationship, meaning, uh, like, you know, they, they, they keep each other's relationship at the highest point, but that they allow the other one to have like sexual relationships with other people. And supposedly he, they, the, this is like, um, their documentary journey of this i was so repelled by this oh yeah that i that it was like watching a car wreck right like i was like this will never work and i watched the the previews of it and uh i think we're headed into a very unusual time in our culture where because religion has fallen away because people don't believe in the state because they think like hey dare told me that drug would kill me and it didn't I think that people are going to be testing the boundaries. And I think the the challenge of writing a, a, anything about sex right now is that there are people willing to go really far uh, to talk about this subject. Yeah, I mean, like, I'm not getting into any of this at the moment. I'm not getting into any of that at the moment, but it's where you can sort of i'm fairly skeptical about any of these this claims about polyamorous relationships just that okay right so human beings just as we are um men women have sex when they want men have sex when they can so um like i the joke throughout the book is me constantly trying to pick up women and i mean like the vast vast majority of it's rejection which just, you know, which is just the way it is. Um, women don't have that issue. Like it, it's, I was um, uh, chatting with a, a, a feminist friend, and she was claiming that oh, this this whole idea that men have a higher sex drive than women. Oh, this is a you know, this is patriarchal, just made up. Blah, 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 blah. You know, all, all of us nice. Okay, let's let's start to run an experiment. We're gonna go out onto the street. And you're gonna offer to have sex with men, and what we'll do is we'll count how many seconds it takes for one man to say yes, <laughs> and I will do the same thing at the other side of the road, and we will count how many seconds it takes before the police are called. <laughs> and so it's and so when you're getting into like one of these polyamorous relationships, um, it's going to be very one sided. It's going to be very, very one-sided because it's going to be much, much easier for one person than it is going to be for the other, which is already going to start uh, an amount of division and jealousy and bitterness because the reality is relationships are difficult. And so now you're going to add in this new component into it. It's going to complicate and make things messy. I think Jordan Peterson referred to it as a adolescent daydream. And I was like, I, I would lean heavily towards that. I'd say it's so the the um, the the one the, the relationships that I do know about, where I was like, when I'm traveling about and meeting these people, it's like when you when, you know it, it turns out you know he's just really in a cocked relationship. She's having sex with other people, and 
I mean, that's almost exactly what I thought. And that's why I was saying that the finding that preview for that show was like a train wreck. And I was mm-hmm. total clickbaited. Like they got me because I, I went and watched as, you know, as many of the previews as I could, because I was like, what idiot would, would the guy would be like, yeah, I think this is a great idea. And not, you know, not only for your example, but like for the, like, I, I don't know, like, Having one of the best parts about marriage is that uh-huh. you can reach a point where you have so much trust uh-huh. that you don't need to have jealousy. And yeah. removing jealousy from your life removes an entire huge block of adolescent uh, chaos in your life where you're thinking about what somebody else is thinking about you and how you can reciprocate and should you have power dynamics and like, When Mm. you get married, if you get married to the right person, that stuff all goes away. You have new problems, but you're transcended to a different level. So when this preview was about this guy, like, oh, we're about to get married and we're going to do this to like see how it can benefit our relationship. I was like, you idiot. You're giving up the very best thing that you have for what? Like, then why get married at all? Yeah, I know. I know. But this is it's. I, I I think a lot of this stuff is it's where you tend to find where people who are like right, so you went back in a generation people are very conservative now they couldn't explain and this is sort of what happened me you know be what me ever being the edgy internet the atheist or whatever I'm a teenager because conservative people cannot defend their positions they don't know why they believe it's just always worked these positions. Have always worked, and that's why I'm doing them. And they can't explain why they don't know what's about them. Yeah, tradition they, is is uh, the answers to questions that we've even forgotten the questions. Right? Yes. Like, we don't know why they work. We just do this tradition, and by the way, then then our lives succeed. Yeah, yeah. You, you, you the groups that adopt these uh, beliefs and practices survive, and the groups that don't don't survive and so um so it is the book is so the next book is because it's a large a lot, a lot about evolutionary psychology because it's it's i think um well you you've uh <laughs> within the, the uh, certain groups it's it's an unpopular idea but these, these are the same sort of people who you know would have been arguing against creationists arguing against um religious people and claiming that you know evolution is true, but then once it comes to psychology, evolution wasn't true. No, but their psychology obviously it evolved. I can clearly it evolved where else that it come from. And so, um, a large portion of you know, if we could call it a depression, you know, the, you take even the obesity epidemic. The obesity epidemic can only be understood from looking at it as uh, from the perspective of evolution it's like oh we have evolved to um <laughs> desire sugar to like sugar and now we're completely you know this thing that's very rare that we very uh, very little access to and now we're completely surrounded with it we are evolved to live in areas with um you know li- live in periods of scarcity where food's going to run out so when it's abundant you take advantage of that and now we're in you know the land time of plenty and it's backfire. America's two generations away from being unable to defend itself because the population will be too fat. Um, so that can only be understood 
and so like how many more other you know everything from depression to, to anxiety to you know whatever can only be understood if you look at it from the perspective of evolution all right well these traits so depression exists for a reason it's not a bad thing you know it's not something it's it's there to tell you it's again like these are things that obviously be more complicated and there's obviously you know some people who are going to have um actual um you know issues with brain you know brain chemistry it's thrown around too much but this is something that's there for a reason yeah i Um, think like i think that goes along you know anxiety is one of those things that i talk about anxiety is your brain saying something is really wrong and you need to fix it and Mm -hmm. when you when you go around saying we should fix the symptoms you shouldn't be anxious (laughs) as opposed to saying hey your psyche is telling you that you're doing something wrong and you need to address it and by the way the reason it takes your psyche is because you don't want to face it and so I think you're exactly right. Like you really don't know and you've got to have an open society where you don't say, hey, the traditions that we had in the past, we always have to adhere to. You have to have people pushing the boundaries. Yeah. But oh, you be stag- careful you, of you, being the person stag- that opens yeah. that door. And I th- th- I think this relates to you in your book. Like in, in, your, in the case of you saying, I'm going to open the door to these drugs, like you really did take a chance there. Because you could have been that guy that was on the hostel stairs, injecting heroin into into his uh, in between his toes. Yeah, there's a Doctor Carl. I've mentioned this to you before we started recording, but I can't remember his name. I think it's Doctor Carl Hart. Um, but he is a, a drug expert. He's written several books on the topic, but he has talked out how he's a recreational drug user. He's a recreational heroin user. <laughs> So, and, and this is actually a lot more common within the medical field. So the argument that they have is that, you know, these are professional people, they're, you know, they're not, not short of money, they have access to, um, they know how to use a needle, they have access to high quality um, narcotics, so they're not getting rubbish, they do it occasionally, uh, they do it, you know, they do it occasionally with a group of other people who they trust and who they work with and who also can use needles and have access to high quality narcotics. And it's safe in that scenario. It's safe until it isn't. And this is sort of the issue. It's, it's none of it's that good. It, it's it is because everything's at the end of the day is risk and reward. And is that risk, even as small as you think it is uh, worth it? For the, for the you know the potential fallout so um and again he's a, a tenured professor he, he doesn't really have any worries doesn't really have you know it's a you know he's a very safe job and a very you know i say easy i don't know i don't know exactly what he does but from, from my experience of tenured people it doesn't tend to be uh too strenuous so maybe he you know he has a, a lifestyle where he can get away with recreational heroin when nuisance it's 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 but um your your other issue is i i, I normally what they talk about is um oh, what it was called again uh what's christopher hitchens brother called again uh uh forgot his peter name. hitchens peter hitchens peter hitchens wrote uh and again this it's where my position has changed so much because when i read his book uh the war that never was 
I laughed the whole way through. I thought, what a funny book. And now reading over it again, I'm like, actually, he's making a lot of fair points. Um, because it's he's talking about like these um upper middle class, um secure mortgage pay, you know, paid off or paying off their mortgage, um educated people talking about their drug use, you know, it should be legalized because I have a joint at the weekend, blah blah blah. You know, and it's all fair and well. But the real the reality is the majority of drugs are being taken by poor people. The majority of the drugs are being paid by people who are not in secure positions. They're being taken by people who probably don't need to be spending that money there, who probably um this is really negative to their overall uh lifestyle. So you have this, you know, this um you know these the, the, this group of you've, you've used the terminology to describe the away people. The um, no, hope, what do they call again? The state, the, the type of person who goes away. Oh, the anywhere people. Anywhere people. So you have these anywhere people who are like, um, who are you know we we need to. Um, well, these drugs are fine for me, so it should be fine for everybody. So we should. So all the laws and all the legislation, all the rules, it should be built to suit me. Yeah, don't think about it. And again, the idea that there's other people with different experiences, different mindsets, different values, different tolerances, that these people are somehow different than them is not, that couldn't be right. So it's so the legislation needs to fit me and my you know group of friends. And so there is that, that danger. And I, I have to appreciate why I'm not, educate it by any <laughs> means i am in a sort of a privileged position where i'm you know secure and i'm in a decent job and um i don't have too many pressures or struggles and um my reasons for doing these things is maybe different than another person's reason for doing them so and i am throughout the book very cautious and even when i have those like good experience i am I think nearly, in nearly every chapter, I'm like, yeah, but remember that bad thing that happened? So, you know, <laughs> I, I I don't want to. And that, and that only came later on in the book because when I first wrote the book, it was that that's, that sort of like saying, like now consider sort of cringy, just the war on drugs is really dumb position. But, um, uh, you know. Well, Buck, you are a fun adventurer, and uh, you've you've definitely enticed me. I'm interested in getting your book. So, if Wonderful. people wanted to uh, get your book, where would they do it, and how would they uh, find you out on the internet? Um, if you look up, I can never remember this. It's either that Buck Gay, so that T H A T Buck G U Y, on Twitter. Um, Adventures on Drugs in Amazon or in other online bookshops go by out there um yeah so that's see there, there's the two things go buy several copies backup copies copies for your friends your family you know well man congratulations on writing a book that is always an accomplishment and uh it is one that sounds intriguing and uh something that you can't hear elsewhere so man good luck to you on selling the books and thanks for coming on the podcast thanks for having me fun. <laughs>